You may open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Due to evil circumstances, I intended to have in your hands a three-column table that would have the three parables of the sower lined up section by section so that you could compare. Whether the devil or the Lord trying me, I was not able to get them to you, but you will have them shortly by email, and you can review the parable of the sower. The entire parable of the sower is found in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. I hope to speedily go through this, and I hope that the Lord will bless us to make a decision this day that we shall never enter into the house of the Lord to be any kind of ground but good ground, and that he will forgive us for ever being any other kind of ground. The parable is simple. Jesus explained it fully. Little to no time needs to be spent thinking about planting. You know the parable, but the importance is how you respond to preaching, not if you grasp the parable. Who cares if you understand the parable, if you end up in one of the three grounds that are forbidden? We want to be the good ground. We are long and we are loud when it comes to defending the King James Bible. We are long and we are loud about one-word arguments in the Bible and Bible hermeneutics and using the Bible to defend the ancient landmarks of our faith. We better be careful of how we hear that word, since we're so long and loud about it. And that includes this morning. Here are four hearers. Wayside hearers, stony ground hearers, thorny ground hearers, and good ground hearers. And you make a choice every time you hear the word of God as to what kind of a hearer you're going to be. There's no theological lesson here as to which ground is born again or not. I can tell you this, that the good ground can't be an unregenerate man. I can tell you this, a regenerate man can be all four kinds of ground. And they are at various times. While it is an axiom of truth that God must prepare hearts for men to understand, that is not the lesson here. The lesson here is, take heed therefore how ye hear. Don't you fatalistically fall off and blame God or count on God to do for you what He expects you to be doing for yourself. If the truth is told, and it will be one day soon, as this parable painfully tells us, we've all been the four different kinds of ground at various times. The purpose of hearing and obeying the preached word is fruitfulness. It's not getting saved from an eternity in hell to an eternity in heaven. The issue is not eternal life. The issue is how do you hear preaching to bear fruit in your life. Most of God's children don't bear much fruit. But the Lord calls us to bear much fruit and He's able to give us the strength to do that. John 15 speaks to that very plainly. The judgment is severe for not hearing rightly. The little knowledge that you think you have will be taken from you And that will be added to the huge pile that faithful fearers already have. In Christ's kingdom, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And that particularly applies to the knowledge of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the truth of His gospel. I don't want you to miss the purpose of the parable. The key issue is applying and obeying the truth. It is not concentrating harder right now, although that is a small part of it. It is not that you can be good ground right now by paying better attention, though that is a small part of it. The good ground goes out of here and doesn't let the devil snatch away the Word of God by filling its mind and your life with other activities so that there is no fruitfulness And you're not growing in grace. That is the issue. And I can't go with all of you to tap you on the shoulder and remind you that you're being a fool. You've got to remind yourself that you're being a fool and not retaining what you were taught. And not binding it about thy finger, as Solomon would say, about his wisdom to his son. You say, that is so disrespectful to talk that way to someone. Well, King Solomon talked that way to Prince Rehoboam, and Prince Rehoboam is your superior by every measure 
by an unlimited amount. And Solomon spoke to him that way. You need a little note, note tied around your finger, Rehoboam, in order to remember the words of wisdom and my commandments so that when you get away from me, you'll do them. When you're facing the temptation, you'll do them. When you're busy in your daily activities, you'll do them. That is the key to the parable. It's not just listening right now. It's what are we going to do with the Word of God Monday through Saturday? Lord, help us to that end. If you knew what part, what percentage of my time is wasted on chasing, exhorting, worrying, fearing, praying for the other three kinds of ground than good ground, you would be angry and you would be very saddened. I have recommitted myself to the Lord. I work 80 to 100 every week, and it is my pleasure. Generally 100. That only takes 7 times 14. It is a small price, because I love God's Word, and I love what He's done for me, and He's done a lot for me. But you would be sick, and you would be angry at the time I waste on those who should be pillars. Those who should be helping others. Those who should be constantly faithful good ground. Those who in patience of their souls bring forth much fruit to perfection. You would be angry about it. There shouldn't be any in here. In this church and outside this church. Most of the other three kinds of ground. We live in the perilous times of the last days. Our enemy is not Nebuchadnezzar. Our enemy is, I want to have my cake and eat it too. Our enemy is, I just get so tired. Well, you poor little thing. I wish Jesus Christ had said that on the cross pertaining to you. But you can be thankful that your Savior didn't. Well, I just have so many other things that I could be doing instead of sitting in this church. Well, the devil's going to snatch away your word and whatever understanding you think you have, I'm going to get it at the end. So I'm thankful for you still, you wayside hearer. You say you're so mean. Well, then just read the Bible so that you can figure out where I got it from. Because all I want to do is tell you that when you meet the Lord Jesus Christ in one second, you're going to rue the day that you did not come into his house every single time to be like those Jews that gathered in the street that was before the water gate and stood from morning until midday to hear the word of God preached. In one second, you'll wish that I had been more severe with you. I promise you I'm nothing. I still don't measure up to Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Apostle Paul, but I'm trying to get there. The danger is clear. Fruitlessness deserves God's judgment. We love the truth of God and we want more of it, but we're going to lose what we have if we don't have a godly response to preaching. It's a great privilege to hear and understand preaching, and you better respond accordingly or you're going to lose. You're going to lose. That's the warning of the parable of the sower. Him that hath, to him shall be given. He that hath not, from him, it's really strange, he that hath not, from him shall be taken that which he hath. Well, now, wait a minute. I just thought it said he didn't have anything. Well, he doesn't. Anything to matter. But if you go read the other gospel accounts, it's the Lord's going to take away whatever he thinks he has. And he's going to give it to the one that's faithful. Remember, there was a man given five talents, a man given two talents, and a man given one talent. The man given one talent wasn't faithful as his one talent. Oh, he kept it, sure enough. Oh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't think he had lost anything until he met the Lord. Then the Lord took away his one talent and gave it to the man who had multiplied his five into ten, so that five plus five equals eleven, and one equals zero. That's God's math. It's higher math. It's math from heaven. That's how high it is. The good ground is seen in Nehemiah chapter 8, which you were to listen to and read last night. That is good ground. And all the features that were there, don't let me say even one of them. 
lest I steal from someone in the second assembly. I want to hear everything that you can bring out of that passage, just, just in the way of reminders for all of us. It'll be a different way of reviewing the Word of God from Nehemiah chapter 8. Most Christians want smooth things and fables. They don't want sound doctrine today. But let's get started with this parable. I'm going to read verse 19 as the Lord expen- explains and describes the first kind of ground. Verse 18 says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read the actual parable part. I'm going to read the explanatory part. Verse 19. This is a wayside hearer, the first of the four grounds. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. When the sower went out and cast seed, some of it fell on the pathways of people that had walked around that field. Now a wayside is outside of the fertile territory and part of the field that's going to raise grow crops. It's been packed down by beasts of burden and by foot trotting for years or decades. And so it's as packed as hard as a sidewalk in our society. And some seed lands on that. And it isn't going down. It doesn't have any root whatsoever. And the birds of the air come and just eat it. And that's the devil. He comes and snatches away the word of God from some of the hearers in this room that are wayside hearers. They're the ones that are reading their Bible right now instead of listening. Because you can't learn by reading the Bible in church. Impossible. The only way that you can learn is to open up the two ears and to hear the man of God read the word of God distinctly and give you the sense. That's why you're in the pew and I'm in the pulpit. When I want you to fix my brakes, I'm going to go to you because you're in the pew and I'm in the pulpit. But when it comes to the Word of God, we need to have Ezra and those men that stood in his left hand and those men that stood in his right hand read the Word of God to us and give us the sense so that we can understand the reading. This person hears the Word. It's sown by the preacher in his heart. But it doesn't really make it into his heart very deeply. There's no roots at all. It just bounces in and bounces out. The lack of understanding here is a choice. It's not a lack of intelligence. It's not a lack of education. It's not because they're too young or they're too old. It's not a byproduct of Alzheimer's. It is a choice. Because the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. And one of the ways you can hear is to be a wayside hearer because it's a choice. Your understanding is your thinking apparatus that is able to synthesize, store, and apply knowledge. The devil cannot take away the Word of God unless you give it away by misunderstanding. And that misunderstanding is not so much as I am not intelligent enough to understand what the preacher is saying, although that does definitely come in, but the Lord isn't talking about what you can't control at a given moment. It's what you can control. And that is you don't understand that you ought to take that word and take it out of here and apply it to your life and change yourself according to God's word. That is understanding. And so they don't understand it because all they do is get a warm feeling that I hear words, I can hear the words, and so in that sense they enter the heart. I believe that the words are true, so in that sense it enters their heart, but there's no understanding that it is to change their lives. And it's a choice not to make that understanding. It is a calloused habit of carnal, lazy hearers that has hardened the ground of their hearts and minds until conviction and action are lost. They just go to church to go through the motions. And they don't make the necessary mental application and then heart application of changing their lives to match the Word of God. These are churchgoers doing the motions. They hold themselves upright, and it's painful to do it during preaching. But that's all they do. Preaching becomes only words, only sounds, and out there somewhere truth, rather than truth in our hearts that can make me more perfect to walk more perfectly before the Lord. And that's why we preach What am I not doing that I should be doing? What am I doing that I shouldn't be doing? What am I doing that I could be doing better to please the Lord more perfectly? It 
It's this person that trades God's pure word to Satan for their lazy, selfish, wicked habits of listening that's worse than Eve. You know, when we read Genesis chapter 3 and we read about Adam and Eve and we read about how Eve listened to the devil lie to her and steal God's words away from her and change them by adding one little word, not, one little three-letter word, thou shalt not surely die. And she believed that. We look at her and we're disgusted by her. And so is Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 for being deceived by the devil to believe such a diametrically opposed lie to God's word. And yet you come in here and you don't pay attention because you're just a lazy hearer. You walk out of here, you close up your Bible, you put it away for a week, and you don't review, you don't meditate, you don't confess, you don't examine yourself by the word that you heard. You're worse than Eve! Christ's lesson is something you're able to do. You're able to avoid being wayside hearers. You let the devil steal the word by not preparing to be here, by not focusing on what you're hearing, and by not following up the preaching. Many take seats in Christian churches who have no heart for hearing and understanding the gospel. The last thing that could ever be said of them is they're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. There's no hunger in them for righteousness. There's no thirst in them for righteousness. And they will never be filled. God will rip from them the little bit they think they have and give it to those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's how we ought to come to God's Word. And that's many in Christian churches or the, the vast majority. You misunderstanding. You lose the Word of God. The devil comes and snatches it away. You're a wayside hearer when these things are true. You're too tired from inadequate sleep. You skip the preparatory reading. You arrive late in a tizzy because you can't, you're not, you don't have good time management and you can't rule your spirit. You have carnal activities too close to preaching, either before or after. You misunderstanding and you lose the word of God by not coming with a prayerful, ready mind, eager, anticipating to hear God's word. You're lazy. You watch too much television. You're too undisciplined so that you don't have focus. You misunderstanding by distractions while I'm preaching, by daydreaming, taking notes. One out of ten people that take notes benefit by note-taking. If you need a mathematical, logical, experiential explanation for why note-taking is very hazardous to your mental health, I will help you. I can speak ten times as fast as you can take dictation. But when you're making notes, you are not taking dictation. You are trying to rephrase what I have said into your own words. So you're much slower. So it becomes a factor of 20. And so while you're getting one point, I've given 19 more. Just be careful. If you would come prepared, and if you need two Red Bulls to be prepared, then drink three. And focus. Maybe some people benefit by notes. And if the notes are simply to help you review, remember, I provide copious notes for everything ever said out of this pulpit as soon as the service is over, just about. Just don't, don't fret about that anymore. Forget that particular point, except for what I said, just to be on notice about it. You've got a sore back, so you can't listen. You've got a child behind you that's fussing and fidgeting. You've got a person beside you that's irritating you. You've got a full bladder, and lo and behold, there's a fly, two pews in front of you, flitting about another church member. And so forth and so on, our minds are able to come up with all these excuses so we don't pay attention to the Word of God. And so we lose it, and the devil comes and snatches it away, and we don't progress in our lives to have the God-pleasing, Christ-honoring, truth-following lives that we want to have for His glory. And to let our lights shine before all men. You're a wayside hearer when you don't review what's been taught. When you don't consider and search the scriptures and talk about it with others. You're a wayside hearer when you're rebellious and stubborn. And you're offended by the preacher stepping on your toes and being harsh about your lifestyle. Those, are equal, those sins are equal to idolatry and witchcraft in the word of God. Saul resisted the word of God by Samuel. The Lord God said, it's the, it's the same crimes to me as witchcraft and idolatry when you're stubborn and rebellious against the preaching of my servant. Right. I am nothing. His word is everything. Amen. 
You misunderstand the word of God and you lose it by not applying it to yourself, by thinking of others in the congregation that may need it, in your opinion, and deferring your own repentance until you have more time to think about it. You should repent as soon as you hear the word. Look at the response I got that I read to you this morning. Unbelievable. He doesn't know me from Adam, except he knows I will tell him the truth plainly and bluntly. You miss the word of God by pride, self-righteous offense at being corrected. You miss it by not appreciating the glorious privilege of the Bible being preached to you. You miss it by sleeping or dozing during the most important part of your week by far. You miss understanding by failing to remember it and keep instruction with you. How many of the verses should I turn you to in the book of Proverbs where Solomon begged his children, begged his son, My son, keep my commandments with you. Retain my law. Forsake not my commandments. It's when you go out of here that you have to remember it and apply it to please God. There's a lot of activity to take place after you heard the word of God. Brother Jerry and I were talking last week, and it's not why this verse is a cross-reference in my notes, but I, I remember the conversation. When Jesus spoke to Mary, what did, what did it tell us Mary did? When Jesus would say something a little different than her other children, like, like, knowest thou not that I must be about my father's business? What does it say she did? I need some help. I, I forgot. She, I need a P word. I need a, she pondered those things in her heart. That's what we need to be doing. That's what we need to be doing every day with the things God says to us from His Word, is pondering them in our hearts. The stony ground here. Let's read verses 20 and 21. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the Word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the Word, By and by, he is offended. Okay, well, there's a couple expressions there that you haven't used in a sentence this last week. And the first one's anon. Anon, the strict definition of that word, is straightway, at once, forthwith, instantly. It's an instant response. They hear the preaching, yes, amen. That's the truth. But then, by and by, he is offended. In a little while, he is offended. It's like a sparkler. In a dark night, children, the sparkler looks pretty bright, and it lights up pretty quickly. And by and by, it's dark again. We don't want to be like sparklers when it comes to the Word of God. We want to hold fast the things we've been taught. This is the stony ground here. It's stony ground. The soil is very shallow and very thin on the surface, so that when the seed is planted down in that soil, the roots spring outward, but they don't have any depth. So when the sun rises on that plant, it cannot draw moisture from the deeper ground. That thin layer of soil is quickly dried out, and it's dried out. This, decide, this, this person hears the words, even with gladness in his heart, but will not pay the price when persecution or difficulties arise. So they're offended with the tribulations of Christ's strict doctrine. They're offended by separated living. They're offended by small churches. They're offended by the circumstances of their lives and God not blessing them the way they think they should be blessed. And so they fall away from the truth. They're stony ground hearers. They're weaklings. The first ones forfeit the word of God. The wayside here just forfeits it. This guy at least hears it and gets excited about it, but he's a loser. He's a weakling. I've preached to you for several weeks in a row about kingdom priorities. We're soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ in a kingdom warfare. And we should hold our post and not give up. So what if you have to miss a meal at your post? So what if they're K-rations? And that a four-course meal that you're used to? So what if there's some difficulty? So what if it's hot? So what if you've got to clean your gun every day? The Lord's chosen you to an outpost and to hold the ground. 
and not to give up. These give up. It gets a little rough for them and they're gone. They have no root in themselves. And we must keep this the practical phase of salvation. They have no real commitment to the gospel. These are negative deterrents. The next ground is positive deterrents. If you'll let me make that distinction. By negative deterrents, I mean bad things come up in your life. The next ground is positive, good things. What the world calls good things come up in your life. And it chokes the word of God from bearing fruit. Right now, it's negative things. Jesus promised a sword, so we shouldn't be surprised or resentful when it shows up. We should thank God. For, for, for near 30 years, I've, I've told people after they were baptized, they got a, an email from me saying, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be tried. Count yourself happy. You're fulfilling Bible prophecy. If a sword comes into your family, it's a good thing. You're fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ and He counts you worthy of this strong challenge to your faith and commitment to see if you'll hold fast to Him. Afflictions are to build your faith, aren't they? are they not? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and so forth, that you might be perfect. How can we complain about some afflictions in our lives? I have some right now, some you don't know about. And I'm no hero. I struggle with them every day. But thanks be to God, on Wednesday night, he reminded me that we're going to punch him in the face in the name of the Lord. Right. And they're not even people. So don't get too worried. Afflictions are to give you an opportunity to show some real Christ-like character. Until you've got a problem on the job, you can't show real Christ-like character till you've got a froward boss. That's what the Bible teaches us so that we can be like Christ. This stony ground hearer, he gets excited. He says, that's the truth. Yes, brother. Brother, did you enjoy the sermon? Yes. And then he goes out. Then the children give him a little bit of difficulty. His siblings give him a little bit of difficulty. He loses his job. It ain't worth it. I ain't going to read my Bible today. It ain't worth it. Oh, if I have to go to church, I'll go up when I have to. And so they bear no fruit to perfection because they get discouraged. They get tired. They get weakened. They quit because of a little bit of persecution. Now, the Bible's told us that we must all enter the kingdom of heaven through tribulation, Acts chapter 14. Right. And that was the message of the Apostle Paul. We've got to violently take the kingdom of heaven by force, as I preached to you recently from the Gospel of Luke. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I want, to tell, I want to remind you of something. All temptations are common. If you think you're the second Job, you're not. You need to come and see me, and I'll explain to you that you're not Job too. You know, there might have been Herod Agrippa the first, and there might have been Herod Agrippa the second. We're not really sure. All I know is from that era of time that there was Jesus of Nazareth. You say, is that how you read history? Absolutely, that's how I read history. Right. But let's go ahead and assume that there was a Herod Agrippa the first and a Herod Agrippa the second. You're not Job the second. Come to me and I'll explain to you how you're not Job. I'll show you on a diagram that you're not even 1% of Job. So what are you doing what Job didn't do. Job fell down and worshipped. Job said, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is that man going to stand at his post? You say with the next few chapters, show a little bit of weakness. When you go through what Job went through, then we'll talk about his weakness. Until then, you've never even seen anything like what Job went through. Do not flatter yourself. You're not the second Job. Trials vary in life. One might be financial, one might be physical, one might be family, one might be professional. They can vary that way. They vary in kind, but they don't vary in difficulty that much. Because at one time, while you're having your most difficult trials, someone else is having a little bit of relief. Then when they have their most difficult trials, you're getting a little bit of relief. I'm just going with what the Bible says. All of our temptations are common. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is. For some reason, I believe that. And so I'm trying to get you to believe it. What verse I do want to give you right now is Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. 
You say, that's not very nice. You've called people weaklings and you've called them sissies already. And they're fellow believers in Christ. Get used to it. If you knew how much they wasted of my time so that you can't hear more new things out of God's Word, you'd be as upset as I am about it. But first of all, it starts with us. And no one else. They are weaklings and they are losers. If thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. It's in the day of adversity we get to show strength. In the day of prosperity, it's no strength to live through a prosperous life. That's a vacation. Lord, help us. These hearers are a disgrace, for they give up for nothing, though Jesus suffered and died for them. So a few people don't like you. Praise God for Jeremiah. And you say to me, yeah, but he showed some weakness in Jeremiah 15. Oh, but he showed some strength in Jeremiah 15. And I know where that man ended up. And he was a great one for the Lord. Well, they don't like me very much. And I get tired of being picked on. I get tired of being told I'm not good enough. Listen, you ought to be thankful for being told you're not good enough because you're going to be told by the Lord Jesus Christ real soon and it's going to be different than when I tell you. And there's going to be no going back. There's going to be no this next week. I'm going to do better by God's grace. And that's what we all ought to be committed to. That's a good ground here. I'm going to make this new week different. I will serve Him more faithfully. I will love Him more passionately. I will live a more holy life. Lord, help me. The stony ground hearers, they have no root. A little bit of difficulty arises and they're gone. These hearers are ridiculously inferior to sinful athletes because they cannot endure the least trials. These athletes that are preparing for three weeks from now to open up the Olympics, the 2012 series of Olympics in London, England, they're temperate. They discipline themselves in their time, in their habits, in their sleep, in their workouts, in their eating. In everything they do, and it's more sophisticated than it's ever been now. But here we are as Christians, and the Bible tells us to compare ourselves to them. They want to be a world-class athlete. We want to be a world-class Christian. We want to look at the cloud of witnesses in our stadium. We won't be running a lap in the Olympic stadium. We're running the lap of life in the stadium of the elders of Israel. Seeing then that we have such a great cloud of witnesses... Those are the spectators in our large stadium. And we are running our race with patience. We are not going to give up. We're going to put one foot in front of the other. And if our race leads us out of the stadium to take a 25 and a half mile circuit through the city of London and then brings us back in for a final two laps to finish up our 26 mile 385 yard marathon, we're going to do it by putting one foot in front of the other and we're not going to quit. We're not going to ask for a drink. We're not going to believe that our feet are sore. We're not going to believe our back is sore. We're going to keep going. For the Lord's sake. For those that have gone before us that had circumstances far worse than us. For those that are behind us and our back in front of them, our back in front of them continuing to run leads them to the finish line. And every husband and every father in this assembly is responsible for your wife and children following you to the finish line, not veering off to get a hot dog at a street side stand. It is so encouraging to be in a race and know someone about your speed, maybe a little bit better. And you've positioned yourself a few feet behind them. You draft off them. Forget it. You, you draft off them, but you motivate off them by watching them. Right. I'll quit when they quit. And if you've picked the right person, they quit when they're on the other side of the finish line. And for those, of the, for those that are behind us, let's be those in the, in the, in the Word of God right. for holy living in the perilous times. I'm excited not to have to face Nebuchadnezzar. We've got a worst enemy. It's more insidious. It's more deceitful. It's perilous Christianity. It's compromising carnal Christianity. Are you going to run the race with me? Amen. I'm going for it. And the problem is, I'm too many miles into my race to pick up my average pace per mile like I would like to. And all you young people, 
Every one of you are very important to me because you can set. When I say I want you to outstrip me, do you know what that means? It means I want you to have a faster pace per mile than I have. I've run so many of my miles, or let's put it a different way, I've sat on a park bench for so many minutes of the race that my time per mile is pitiful compared to what I want it to be. I want to tell you something, though. Every time I repent, the Lord starts a new stopwatch on me. Try to keep up with me right now. Lord, thank you for letting me start over and letting me look at a new minutes per mile. I'm nothing. We want to let others run behind us. These hearers will get discouraged about just anything, the same things that everyone else faces, and they'll tire. They'll get discouraged. They'll quit. It's common among God's people, and the Lord forgives us for doing it. David did it. Paul did it. Peter did it. Jonah did it. Many did it. Sometimes they'll actually reason, since I can't be the perfect Trojan warrior, I guess I'll just retire. I've met him, heard it, seen it, pitiful. If you can't outdo Paul, at least be in Paul's shadow. If you can't be more the man after God's own heart than David, at least be David's Jonathan. The thorny ground here, verse 22. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Let me read you Mark. Just just pay attention and think. There's a few little added words. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Luke, and they which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Okay, this is the thorny ground here. This is where the seed is cast, but there's a lot of thorns already established there in the soil. So when that new plant comes up, the roots and the, and the branches of this thorn plant just choke out the life of the good seed of the Word of God that Jesus Christ, the great sower, sowed and that His preachers sow behind Him. This is the hearer that hears the Word, even with gladness, but cannot resist the draw of this world. It's the Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I was running my race, the Apostle Paul said. This is in the same chapter where he said, I have finished my course, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I was running my race, and I had chosen a Demas to run it with me. But he saw an ice cream stand in the middle of our marathon. And he stopped to get himself a cone. Do you know what kind of a pleasure it would have been to have been a Demas? To have been chosen by the Apostle Paul to run the race with him? Boy, if you could get yourself behind Paul in draft, it would be drafty back there. I'm using draft in a different word sense. To get behind Paul and run. But Demas couldn't do it because of the world. Here are positive deterrents. The stony ground are negative deterrents. You get some persecution. You get some afflictions. You get some trials. People forsake you. You leave you. we got a little pitiful church. And so you want to quit and give up. For all sorts of reasons. These are positive deterrents. You look around at this big shiny world. It's like a child in a toy store. You can hardly ever find an old man that thinks the way a young man does. Because an old man's learned it's all a bunch of junk anyway. Just like the toys that you used to... I remember pulling off. I'd, I'd show my dad. I'd say, Dad, there's a ring for a nickel. Hey, back then a nickel could buy something. Right. I'd say, Dad, there's a... There's a ring for a nickel or there's a ring for a quarter. And he'd say, your finger's going to turn green in two days. Because while it looks gold, it's not gold. Thank you. 
That was wisdom learned at an early age that it wasn't real gold. And older men figure out life is fool's gold. Life is that treadmill that I've described to you before where you keep looking at the guys on your left and your right and you've got to keep going faster and faster and faster and pretty soon you're 70 years old and it spits you off into hell. That's what happens to these guys. They hear the word of God. They get excited about it. Amen. Then they go out and on Monday through Saturday there's too many good things out there, too much pleasure, too many cares, too many things and the deceitfulness of riches and so they're lied to. That's why I call it fool's gold. That's entirely biblical and a whole lot more verses than, and explanations than that. But it's called the deceitfulness of riches right here. And it chokes them out and they don't bear fruit to perfection. Pleasure is a horrible vice when it comes to spiritual matters. Pleasure. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Second Timothy chapter 3. It's the time we live in. The most satisfying pleasure you can ever have is in the word of God. The mirth that they had in Nehemiah 8 cannot be matched in any tense of a brothel. The mirth that they had in Nehemiah chapter 8 cannot be matched in any number of promotions to be an officer of any company. There is no amount of money that you can earn in a year, a decade, or an intense, euphoric trade of one minute that matches Nehemiah chapter 8. And I thank God, as long as I've known Nehemiah chapter 8, and I bless God for two men that taught me about Nehemiah chapter 8. Last night, my wife being my witness, I thank God that though I've known that chapter now for 30 years, it brought had the same effect on me last night, equal to any effect it's ever had on me. And it was pure joy. Couldn't stop the bawling. Listen, you've never seen me crying in a trading room in your life. I was thrilled, but I wasn't thrilled as I was last night. I just, mm-hmm. listen, if you're, a thorny, if, if you're a thorny ground here, you lose twice. Right. You're lying to yourself about getting, to he- getting ahead in this world on your own. And you're not going to do it. You're not going to accomplish anything worth mentioning. The Lord is able to help you accomplish things that are worth mentioning. And he only does it for those that put his kingdom first. So if you, if you give up his kingdom... Because you think you're going to accomplish something else. You're going to achieve pleasures. You're going to achieve riches. You're going to get things. You're going to get stuff. You lose both. You lose-lose. It's a lose-lose proposition, but there is a win-win proposition. Put God's kingdom first, and he'll make you content and happy and thrilled with whatever you've got. And you know what? He's able to add riches, and the Bible says, and no sorrow with it. That's, why, would, why would you even think about anything else? Lord, help us. It's our sinful nature. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man, and that's true naturally and spiritually. Jesus Christ would say, it's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get a rich man into the kingdom of heaven. The apostles would say, well, then it's impossible. Jesus would say, all things with God are possible, but it's still very rare. Ananias and Sapphira blew it for a little bit of money. They lied to the Holy Ghost and dropped dead in the church at Jerusalem. That's the word of God. These are double-minded hearers I'm talking about right now, these thorny ground hearers. They hear it. They believe it. They know it's true. I like it. I should be following it. But I like this stuff too. And that's why I called them, I want to have my cake and eat it too, type of Christians. We can't be that way. Let's flush the cake, and he'll give us the frosting. I never liked that dry inside part anyway. Solomon said, it's all vanity and vexation of spirit. All I want is the sweet stuff. And the Lord's able to give you all the sweet stuff if you'll put him first. Thorny ground hearers, oh Lord, save us from it. We're constantly bombarded in this society with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life to our soul's ruin. The man who intermeddleth with all wisdom, the man who really wants to be in Nehemiah chapter 8, the fathers, the leaders, the rulers of the Jews that came to Ezra and Nehemiah the next day and said, we want to hear more. They were separating themselves from the ordinary crowd to seek and intermeddle with all wisdom. You've got to get rid of these distractions that take your attention away from the Word of God to amount to something in His Word. You cannot serve God and mammon. Who said it? The Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior and King. 
He said it in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot be a friend of the world and the friend of God. You cannot. You're an adulterer. You're a spiritual adulterer. You're in bed with the enemy of God Himself. The successful Christian businessman is an illusion of the devil to seduce hearers from fruitfulness. Well, I want to be both. I want to be a successful Christian businessman. I know that. I've been there. I hate it. For you and I hate it for me. And I'm preaching to you as if I could reach back and preach to me and save you from wasted months or years to be more fruitful in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want real riches? Do you know what Jesus would say? The biggest bank account you'll ever have in this world he calls a little thing. And he says, he that is faithful and least, he's talking about your biggest bank account at the highest point, the apex of your financial success that you're ever going to meet in life. He that is faithful in that which is least, I'll give him the, I need, uh, true riches. Luke 16, I'll give him the true riches. Men want so much to be able to have both, like the rich young ruler. It tore him up. Lord, I want to follow you. Are you sure? Keep the commandments. I've kept them all from my youth up. I want to follow you. Well, then go home. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Come follow me. He went away sorrowful. Do you think when he bought his next Ferrari that he enjoyed it? Tell, uh-uh. Not when it says the Lord loved him. He couldn't enjoy his Ferrari, and he knew he had displeased his Lord. He lost, and he lost. And if you say, but he had a Ferrari, say that. When you meet the Lord, please, I'll wait till I'm around. Just let me be around when you say, but I had a Ferrari. Been there, done some of that. Be a successful Christian and let God increase your business if he thinks you can handle it. You know, was there ever a man that wanted to give more away to the Lord than David? The largest sums of money recorded in the Bible are David collecting money it says he gathered with all his might. Now, when, right. David, when David did something with all his might, there was a little bit of zeal involved. And it says he gathered with all his might until the day of his death to gather money for the temple. But do you know what it says about David? He died a very rich man. Right. How can you get rich giving everything away? Because he taught his son something that his son taught us. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24, There is that scattereth, but it tendeth to increase. And there is that withholdeth more than his meat. That's my wallet. But it tendeth to poverty. Thank you, Lord, for all these examples in the Bible. From a spiritual standpoint, the greatest heritage you can ever have and the riches of riches of the Word of God. Psalm 119 has wonderful words about it there. So the choice to try to love and serve God and love success leads you to lose-lose. If you doubt it, think about Lot. Dirt, arid desert, the well-watered plains of Jordan. Abraham says, where do you want to put your massive flocks and herds? Well, that's a no-brainer. As we would say in business circles up north, that's a no-brainer. I'll take the well-watered plains of Jordan. Thank you very much, Uncle. What happened to Lot? Did he end up rich? I know a man that did that was in that equation. Abraham. You say he can't get rich off a desert, arid... The Lord can make a desert blossom like a flower garden. Can he, brother? And poor Lot, he lost everything. He lost favor with God, and he lost everything. What about Samson? He tried to have his cake and eat it too. He was a judge of Israel, but he had a real thing for Philistine prostitutes. He wanted to have his cake and eat it too. What did he end up? A disgrace in the Bible. Blind and committing Harry Carey. You say he made it to the Hall of Faith? Oh. But aren't we all disappointed and surprised that he's there? Or some combination of words like that. Solomon? 
Solomon thought he could have a thousand women and serve the Lord. 83% of his kingdom was ripped away days after he died from his son Rehoboam. His dynasty? What a joke. There's only one dynasty in the kings of Judah. It is David's dynasty. The only reason Solomon got to die in peace in his bed was because his father was named David. And the only reason that Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, did not take all 12 tribes or 100% of Solomon's wealth away from Rehoboam was because his father was named David. If you've read the Bible, you know that. Demas loved this present world, and so did Lot. And they lost everything. Bodily exercise has little profit. Godliness and contentment are profitable unto all things. What a choice we make right there of reward. This little one, it's going to go away so fast. And this big one that lasts forever. Lord, help us make the right choice. Paul exhorted the Corinthians to be without carefulness, even in matters like marriage and children and business and trading and all that you do. I would have you to be without carefulness. This here is the belly worshiper that I preach against often. What is in your life that captivates your attention and your affection? What is it? Is it some position you want? Is it some pay you hope to get? Is it some pleasure? Is it a house? Is it a car? Is it children? Is it marriage? Is it your body? Is it clothes? Is it independence? What is dear to you that's making you love the Word of God less than you should and you could? What is it? Get rid of it! As far as this And this is concerned. Get rid of it. Put the Lord's words first. Be a ready scribe in the law of God. Spend some minutes in the day that are the most attentive and the most affectionate of your whole day toward God and His Word. Help me. Are you too young? Too stupid? Or too wicked? To know that you can't do both. You say, well, you didn't give me any exciting alternatives. I'll take D. There isn't a D. How can we summarize these first three grounds? The lazy loser, the weak sissy, and the greedy gambler. He's gambling on something that doesn't exist. And that's pleasure and prosperity in this life without Christ. The good ground here is verse 23. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some and hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. But they're all fruit bearers. And fruit bearing in the kingdom of heaven does vary from person to person. However, they're all fruit bearers that are here. This man hears the word of God preached in his heart. He understands it and he applies it to his life. And he goes out a changed man. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to love the word of God more. I'm going to give it more priority and emphasis in my life than I was yesterday. Lord, make me more like those in Nehemiah chapter 8, the good ground hearer. He diligently puts the word into practice and bears fruit by Christ's strength in his life. The good ground hearer in Luke chapter 8 is described as having an honest and good heart. What does that tell us about the other three kinds of ground? Let me say it again about the good ground. An honest and good heart. They're liars by being hypocrites and they're wicked in their hearts. They make a pretense that they love God, but there isn't really a love for God there because when God's word comes to bear on their lives, they don't change to match up to it. The noble Bereans received the word with a ready mind and searched the scriptures and believed it and obeyed it. Some forget that they were purged of their old sins. They're described in 2 Peter 1.9, and the Bible says they're nearsighted. They can't, they're bl- the Bible says they're blind. They cannot see afar off. Now, if you're, if you're diagnosed as being blind and you can't see far off, then you are, you're nearsighted. A nearsighted man sees things in the short term and forgets the long term. We're supposed to set our affection in, on things above. There's going to be a day of reckoning when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And a good ground here bears fruit because that's where he's thinking. He doesn't care what happens to his body. Jesus Christ would say, Fear not them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. He's thinking about heaven. He's laying up treasure for himself in heaven, is what the Bible teaches us. Branches that don't bear fruit, what happens to them in the Lord's vineyard? 
They're purged away and burned in the fire. Some trees cumber the ground, and they should only receive a space of time to repent. Luke chapter 13, and then the cry is, Cut it down! And that's from the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Fruit-bearing is a long-distance race. It's laying aside the weights and the sin that doth so easily beset us. In Hebrews 12, 2, to run our best race with patience. For the glory of God, for the witness of all those that have gone before us, and for those that are following after us, so that they can see our back, continuing to push through the darkness toward the light of eternal heaven and God's blessing. We keep our bodies under with the temperance of athletes striving to be the best. We look into the perfect law of liberty, as I preached to you a few months ago, and when we see our blemishes there, we make the needed changes from God's holy mirror. Good ground has lesser and better yields by blessing and diligence. God blesses some to be given five, and they multiply to ten. Some are given two, they multiply to four. Some are one, and they lose. So there is a variation. But whatever God's given you, the Apostle Paul said, the grace that was bestowed upon me, and there was a lot of grace bestowed upon Paul, was not bestowed in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. When you take lots of grace and lots of labor, you get lots of fruit. When you take lots of grace and some labor, you get some fruit. When you take some blessing or grace and some labor, you get some less fruit. The Lord holds you responsible for what he's given you. And he's given you probably more than you're giving yourself credit for right now because he wants you to apply yourself diligently. Fruit, what is it? Fruit, we're told in the Bible, are those graces that are listed in Ephesians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 5. The things like love, joy, peace. Are you growing in all those things? Are you more loving this year than you were last year, this year than you were 10 years ago? Love, joy. Are you a joyful Christian? I don't talk about you. This has nothing to do with having fun in the world. It's joy in Christ. It's joy in the gospel. It's lasting happiness. Peace. Are you totally at peace? Are you friendly with everyone? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You're growing. That's fruit. Because, see, the Word of God teaches all those things. The Word of God teaches us to love. The Word of God teaches us rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. It teaches us to be at peace and to endeavor to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. All these things are taught. So the good ground, I want to hear whatever he's got for me today. And I'll tell you what he's not got for you today. He doesn't have the Feast of Booths that hasn't been celebrated for 800 years like they had in Nehemiah chapter 8. What he's got is those graces... When you go through them and you examine your life by them, are you growing in them? We should be growing in the truth. We know the truth better than we did a year ago. We have more knowledge of God, His Son, Jesus Christ, the ancient landmarks, and the doctrine of Scripture. You should be growing in ability to defend it, ability to express it, to teach it to others. You should be growing in zeal for the kingdom. You're more passionate than you were last year because you're growing. It is, it is good always to be zealous. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. Galatians 4.18. Is your zeal growing? I thank the Lord on Wednesday evening before I would let my wife sleep. She had to listen to an encounter of her husband with the Lord about his zeal. Because the Lord deserves all the zeal that I can possibly muster for him. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, said, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and I want it to eat me up. You should be growing in zeal. You know, Paul would just tear into the Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 5, and he would say, When for the time ye ought to be teachers. He's talking to a congregation. It's not a pastoral epistle. When for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are in need of milk instead of strong meat. What a shame. Don't let that be said about you. If you're not becoming a teacher, and one able to express the doctrine, and able to defend the ancient landmarks, then you have not been a good ground here. Because you should be growing in those things. So 
such hearers both love God and His glory and hate the world and its vanity more and more. The, world, the things of the world, the things of God, they're always sliding. Sliding. Not this way. That's the thorny ground. That's the stony ground. The wayside here is already over there. But they're sliding this way. The things of God are more important. The Word of God is more important. Not the things of this life. You're going to have greater love of the brethren. You do anything for them. You do anything for a stranger. How do you stack up to those in Nehemiah chapter 8? If you're slothful or weak regarding hearing and obeying preaching, whatever spiritual blessing of knowledge and providential preservation you've had is going to be taken away from you and given to the faithful. In Matthew 13, since that's where you're turned, it's the 12th verse. Mark and Luke actually have longer explanations. It's the 12th verse. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. Thank you, Lord. What a reward for paying good attention to preaching. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Even though he doesn't really have anything, the little bit that he's got is going to be taken away from him. Mark and Luke wanted to add this, and it's, it's not very comforting. It's Mark and it's Luke. It's Mark 4 and it's Luke 8. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. This is right smack in the middle of the parable. For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Nothing is secret in Luke that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. You may be able to hide from us now and pretend that you're a good ground here. The Lord's going to expose all that. and I'm just sent as his ass. The dumb ass. That's the terminology from 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm the Lord's dumb ass to warn you before you meet him. Because everything's going to be exposed in that day. He knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. All things in your life are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. If you're slothful or weak regarding hearing and obeying preaching, you're going to lose. We love God's truth here. We want more of it. Let's be diligent hearers. The math of hearing is wonderful, or it's very scary. Five plus five equals 11. Remember? Mm -hmm. And one equals zero. Remember? Or zero equals minus one. Because he thinks he has, but he doesn't have. And he has taken away what he thinks he has. It's not how you hear here. It's how you hear and do something tomorrow. You can only partly be good ground here right now. The real test is what you're going to do with the truth everywhere else. Oh, let's let our lights shine before men. Do you have ears to hear? Hear. Every time you hear the word of God, What should I have thought last night listening to that 42-minute sermon? I mean, after all, it's a choice. I knew what book of the Bible that came from. I knew what chapter it came from. I couldn't wait. It doesn't matter who wrote the outline. It doesn't matter who preached it. It was the Word of God, and it was so exciting. I wanted to have a mirth feast right then. If right then I could have sat a table for all of you and had a mirth feast, we would have raised a glass to the God of heaven. We would have cut the fatted calf right then. Let's make great mirth. Let's go out of here and be thankful. Let's rejoice with one another that we've heard the word of God. And let's look forward to the next time we can hear it. And let's look forward to what we're going to do in our second assembly. And that's just share with each other observations that you made from Nehemiah 8 that are exciting to you, that should convict us. Let's be convicted. It's a choice to be convicted. That's how you make yourself good ground. Lord, show me something from that second assembly from Nehemiah 8 that I can do better. Stir me up. I want to be like that crowd, the men, the women, and the children with understanding that stood there all day. And we're so thankful 
They were convicted. They were weeping for their sins. But then they were told, no, it's time to celebrate. You've understood the Word of God. It's a choice. God will send His Nebuchadnezzars and they will destroy the people of God that do not humble themselves before His Word. And God's Nebuchadnezzars are horrifying if you read the first nine verses of Jeremiah 15. And there will be no deliverance in that day. And it won't matter that there may be some faithful people in the church. You're going to be held accountable for your faithfulness. Let's be the good ground hearers. May the Lord bless us. He's given us ears to hear. Let's hear. Let's do. Let's be excited and thankful and praise His great and glorious name for all that He's shown us in His Word. May the Lord bless the preaching of it.